Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Duck Territory Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pre, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. National Signing Day, or maybe if you're listening to this tomorrow, it's the day after National Signing Day. And boy, uh, guys, it's it's been an interesting day, nonetheless. Um, this one has kind of turned into a very lackluster affair traditionally because of the early signing period. But I think from an Oregon perspective, uh, there was a lot of movement. There was a lot of action to to cover and to to watch play out uh, on this second period. Oregon finishes the recruiting class 25th in the country. I think they started the day somewhere around high 40s, maybe low 50s. Um, they flipped four-star running back Jordan James from Georgia to go to Oregon. They landed four-star edge prospect Amarion Winston from Central Catholic, who was a former Oregon commit. And they also added four-star offensive lineman Dave Iuli, who looked like he was going to fo- uh, follow Mario Cristobal and instead signs with the Ducks over Miami. I think this was about as good as possible of a day that Oregon and Dan Lanning could have had. How many schools can say they signed more in February than in December? Probably not many. I mean, yeah. Oregon's one of them. They just they signed seven in December, and they signed eight today. And we should note, Matt, possibilities of something more coming down the pike with commitments on Friday. And, and maybe we've talked in the past, Josh Connerly postponing a decision. There's classes right now is, yeah, top top 25, fringe top 25. And I think there's a chance, if everything kind of breaks right, that this ends up being a little better than that, which is really encouraging considering that a Oregon only right now has 15 commitments. A lot of these schools have 22, 25, 26, 20, I think A&M has 28, (laughs) which is an absurd number. They also signed, by the way, notably the uh, highest rated class in, in the history of 24 seven sports team rankings. But also note Marshall Malco, um, by the way, we learned how to pronounce his name properly today. Dan Landing. Finally, they, yeah. Finally gave us the <laughs> go ahead and how to say that. Um, but Ma- Malco was the uh, chief of staff or whatever at, at AM and and, and kind of helped lead that. So uh, just kind of a slight digression, but sort of interesting to note that part. But no, I think today was was big. And uh, there, you know, usually you look at a day and you go, well, they, maybe they missed on a guy and a guy there. I know Grayson Halton was a name that was a former commit. We kind of had known where this was going a couple of days ago. Like, there really wasn't anything to be disappointed about that wasn't already expected. I don't think today, and and really the only uh, maybe surprise, quote unquote, was just the Dave Iuli part. And I think we kind of started to get inklings of that in the last 24, 36 hours or so that that was headed that way. So it was, I won't say it wasn't an exciting day, but it was a day, day that was maybe devoid of any surprises. But I think that was a positive for Oregon and. Again, I think this class is, is pretty exciting. Um, there are still holes, and probably on a future podcast, we can talk about some of those positions that maybe you'd like to address in other ways, or, or maybe they'll address those with prep players. Who knows? Um, I think all in all, like this is a, a really impressive haul for, for Dan Landing and company, especially to get this done under the circumstances. And, and obviously, they had their backs up against the wall having to do this all really last minute. And to 
I think a couple things stand out. You know, A, 15 is impressive, but B, also like to retain a bunch of guys that were previous commits yeah. that had opportunities to go to other parts of the country. I mean, Iuli was looking at Miami. Um, Marion Winston was looking at Florida, um, a couple other schools. I think Washington often was involved. I think he took a visit there. Um, they kind of had to hold on to some of these guys. Julio Florence, probably the most notable one. He committed on Monday. We already talked about that. But collectively, I think you just look at this and go, you know, the skeleton was in place for, for Dan Lanning to kind of do what he's done. And now you kind of look up at it and go, I think Oregon did a really darn good job given the circumstances. And, if, again, if you finish somehow in the top 20, given the circumstances, I think you take that every day. With this finish, and I'll put air quotes around finish because signing day goes until whenever a player decides to, like with JTT last year and deciding in July where he was going to sign for the upcoming season. So, you know, there's a chance that Oregon continues to, you know, get more prep players along the way. Just depends on scholarships. But right now they'd sit 25th nationally, third in the Pac-12 behind Stanford and Arizona. Um, Arizona's right, right ahead of them at 24 and Stanford's at 17. Um, they both have uh, 22 committed players. And now all of them assumingly are going to be signed in the next you know, couple hours. Um, just basic math here. We're all journalists. Uh, <laughs> that's a differential of seven players. Uh, for Oregon to have this ranking with just 15 players, uh, nearly you know, half of their or commitments are four-star athletes. Um, that's pretty darn good. And especially considering given where they were six weeks ago, um, you know, post Mario Cristobal departure, um, all the players that they lost, um, I think the total number was like 16 for decommitments, 16, 17, which is not really good. I mean, you, you'll, I'm sure when you look back on this season, you'll be like, oh, what the heck happened here? And it's like, well, it's the same thing that happened. Yeah, in 20, uh, 2018, when, when Willie Taggart left, um, you know, a lot of players love going to schools for their coaches. Um, and I think that was the case with uh, Mario Cristobal and, and Oregon. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of players, again, like Eric mentioned, the retention rate is really impressive considering the fact that you know, Lanning A had to introduce himself and be able to persuade a, a recruit to come to Oregon on just his basis alone. And then do all of that while simultaneously hiring a position staff full of guys who um, have to sell themselves on, you know, it's like with uh, Dave Uli, um, him and Adrian Clem, like they have to get together and, and make sure that this is the right decision for him. Um, I'm sure distance played a factor in his recruitment instead of going to Miami. Uh, but basically everybody down in Miami is an Oregon staff guy. So he's, yeah. Those are, those are uh, members of that staff that he's known for years now in his recruitment. Um, so I think it's really impressive what they've brought along and what they've brought together. Uh, we see Jaleel Florence committing to Oregon and signing today. Um, that's extremely impressive as well. Uh, he committed on Monday, but I digress. Um, you have Tosh Lupoy and Coach Demetrius Martin, Coach Meat, as people refer to him. Um, the, those guys put on the full court press for him. Uh, and it just kind of makes me feel like if Oregon were to put on a full court press on, on a lot of players that could get the job done going here on out. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, a severe understatement that this was a good day for Oregon. I think this was a, an exceptional day. Um, I don't, I don't use that term really lightly either. Just to see where this class ends up, even with 15 players, uh, even though this isn't as good as what it has been in, in recent years under Mario Cristobal, 
just the pure potential that this staff has uh, with a foothold, with a lot of coaches from the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest, but also the Southeastern area of the United States. Um, I think there's a, just a whole bunch of potential where this, where this team can go. Uh, if Oregon continues to win on the field as well, that's obviously a huge factor. But uh, Marshall Malco in charge of it all, uh, I think he's played a very instrumental role in, in all of this and getting uh, coaches and players at the right spots at the right times. Um, I think this, in terms of recruiting, is that Oregon is really set up for success in the long run. And you know, I'm excited just to see what happens in the next few months when they are able to start, you know, recruiting 2023 prospects again. We should note that when 24-7 Sports this year implemented a ranking where they can now combine prep and JUCO players signed with a school along with transfers. And when you go to the rankings and you add the transfers into the class for Oregon and for everybody else, uh, Oregon actually jumps up a couple spots. They are ranked 22nd. They're second in the Pac-12, one spot ahead of Arizona. Um, USC is 10th, and they're first in the Pac-12. USC added something like 14 or 15 transfers in the portal. Oregon did just five um, for, for their class. So their their newcomer addition for this for the 2022 class is 15 high school players plus five transfers, and there's potential for one more. That's five-star offensive tackle Josh Connerly Jr. Um, out of Seattle. He won't make his decision until um, March. I guess there's two. March for Connerly, and then there's also Arliss Boardingham who will make his decision of a receiver. He announces on Friday here uh, on the 4th of February. So we'll see if Oregon can add a couple more players, but we're going to focus on just who is in right now. And one notable interesting nugget from, from this recruiting class is Dan Lanning has said multiple times that they're after speed, whether it's on offense as a running back or as a defensive player in the secondary or a linebacker, they're after speed. And they have gone out and they've signed some pretty darn uh, elite speed guys. And you don't want to say that freely, but it, it's pretty impressive the players that they've been able to, to tack onto this class. Yeah, I think we can say elite speed when we have track times that are as fast as they are. Um, and this is a stat that Coach Lanning shared during his press conference today that I wasn't familiar with, but five players they signed with 10, 7, 100 meter times or better. Um, did some background on that. He's not exaggerating. It's all true. Um, cornerbacks, Jaleel Florence, Jaleel Tucker, and Kamari Terrell have all run 10.72 to 10.78. So that's really fast. And then this kind of surprised me. The two linebackers that were signed in December, Harrison Taggart and Devin Jackson, faster than the corners. Taggart mm -hmm. ran 10.7. Jackson ran 10.54, which is absolutely that's flying for yeah. that size. Um, and you kind of think in terms of what we saw from Georgia, for those that watched this team this year, I think especially at the second level, the speed that which those guys ran, you know, sideline to sideline. You think about how hard it was to run anything off tackle or even anything in the screen game because guys are just flying around. Oregon has a couple of those guys with that speed, you know, those speed characteristics now. Um, not that they didn't before. I think Adrian Jackson out of high school was another 10-7 guy, and there's, I'm sure other players in the roster have to go do a deep dive on this to confirm that have also run that time. But to get five guys on defense who can all 
be elite sprinters. And we should also mention Kamari Terrell's best event is the 400. Um, finished third in the Open Nationals 400, by the way, last year at Hayward Field in Eugene. Um, also notable, Dan Landing said a couple of guys are going to try to do both track and football. I asked which players he didn't want to share which, but I think Terrell's a pretty a pretty likely one considering he's one of the fastest 400-meter runners in the country. And his, honestly, his, his time, I think somebody said it was would have finished third at the Open 400 meters in the Pac-12 this year, so or this last year in 2021. So speed is the name of the game there, and I think that's a, a game changer. And I think not only the speed at linebacker, which I just talked on, but I, I think at corner, really encouraging the types of bodies they're going after, and then also the speed. Like I look at these three players, all of which are six foot one or taller, all of which kind of have long limbs, 180, 190 weight. You know, very similar to Dante Manning, you know, in terms yeah. of the body types. And I know I think Manning also a 10-7 guy out of high school in Missouri. Like they're kind of going and finding clearly certain metrics that they like with that position. And Manning is somebody who we're still kind of waiting and seeing what he can produce. Obviously, a five-star recruit, highest rated Oregon corner signing of all time, highest defensive back signing for all time for that matter. Um but three guys that have very similar measurables athletically um, and both Tucker and, and Florence from a 247 sports recruiting perspective, I know the composite isn't quite as high top 100 recruits as well. So I think Oregon did a great job at corner in this cycle. Um, Demetrius Martin deserves a ton of credit. Matt Pallage deserves credit for helping out with Terrell, who's from, you know, the Dallas area. I think a guy who previously was really looking at Baylor, but obviously Pallage leads Baylor to Oregon. So, I think the secondary is the star of the show, to be honest with you. I think, you know, those three and then also uh, Trejon Williams sticking with his commitment today out of the Portland area is not quite in that same speed realm, but another really high-end defensive back prospect in Oregon went out. And I think if there's a position group you feel really good about in this cycle, I think that's the one where I'd start. Well, I mean, you, you came into this recruiting cycle with worries about two positions. That was wide receiver and cornerback. And I think that Oregon has certainly shored up the depth at cornerback. Um, obviously, these are all true freshmen. So whether or not they'll be really good or really bad is still yet to see. The corner the corner group in general still has a lot of, you know, a lot of question marks. Um, you know, not really sure where they're going to go. Like Eric said, still waiting on Dante Manning to kind of step up and become this five-star player. Christian Gonzalez, another transfer that they got in this cycle, is somebody who has actual Pac-12 experience. Um, yeah, I, the the speed is is really, I thought was kind of a curveball. I don't necessarily know if I expected that from Lanning and um, and his new staff because. But you're right. You know, you watch Georgia's defense. It's a sideline to sideline thing. You know, no one's getting outside of them. Um, it's just quick muscle twitch fibers just going and, and chasing down opponents on the sidelines. Um, and that's what all these cornerbacks type, all, all they bring. Um, and Eric, I was going to mention this if you didn't. Um, they're all basically like the same size yeah. and stature. They're all like that six feet to six foot one. I think Jill Tucker might be listed at like 5'11". I don't know off the top of my head. But they're like six feet, six foot one, 180, 190 pounds. Um, and that's a really good mold for a DB. Uh, someone with long arms, that's somebody who can isn't going to be significantly smaller than any wide receiver that they line up against. Um, can fight for possessions against tight ends because they're six one with the long, with long arms. You know, they get into their sophomore and junior seasons and they start to add weight. Uh, then they get stronger and they hold up against those bigger, more physical wide receivers down the road. 
Um, I think it's totally fair to be extremely excited about this cornerback potential down the line. Um, I don't know how you couldn't really. There's two top 100 players from the same high school too in Lincoln High School down in San Diego um, and the, the, the two Julils. So uh, I think those guys could be somebody or could be someone who um, makes an immediate impact at corner. Um, I think Kamari Terrell is a little bit more of a project, but is also like the fastest of the bunch. And um, I kind of look at him as somebody who could maybe be a, a kick returner down the line just for pure blazing speed. Um, we'll see about like his quickness and explosiveness just right off the bat in terms of, um, you know, getting a kickstart because his you know best time is in the 400 where he has a little bit of time to reach top speed. But again, um, speed is really important in this class. And um, I wonder if that's going to continue during 2023 and 2024, if they're going to continue to go after these type of speed guys. But, um, you know, it's pretty prevalent in this one. And, you know, to know that, that Devin Jackson, a linebacker, is the fastest of the bunch in 100 meter, that's really impressive. I'm excited to watch him play. I think he could really be an impact guy from day one, if um, you know, barring any injuries. One interesting note, Eric, you, you brought up the fact that the, the DBs are kind of the the stars of this class. Um, I think just the, the class in general is pretty darn impressive um, because you look at just the 24-7 sports rankings, and look, we're biased. We work for 24-7 sports, but I think we all three would agree that we trust our evaluators the most, and that would make the most sense too. Um you look at just the 24-7 rankings by our, our own rankings by ourselves, Oregon's class is actually 16th in the country. And there are four teams ahead of them that have a better class than Oregon simply because of numbers. Oregon's per recruit average is better than four teams ahead of them in our own rankings, meaning just Dan Lanning just didn't have enough scholarships to, to go out and offer players and when he assumed the program, most of these recruits had already committed to the schools as, as well. And if this this class could have could have been probably should have been even better if they just simply had more time and simply had more offers to give out. Oregon's lack of scholarships have greatly impacted this this class's ranking, and that's not a negative. It's just it, it's just a fact. I, I I'm I'm coming away. The more I think about it, the more I look deeper into this class the more impressed I am with Oregon's recruiting class. Um, the speed is, is is a massive addition at multiple position groups. I think the, the offensive line, getting Dave Uli into the mix here, is, it's critical. I think you add Jordan James and, and Justice Lowe at two positions that, quite frankly, they need bodies, and they've just added two guys that are, that are four-star players. Yeah, I, we haven't even really talked about Jordan James, and that might be, I want to say, the player I'm most excited about because I, I honestly, Jaleel Florence to me is Javon Holland-ish-esque in terms of watching his tape, just yeah. size-wise, measurables. Jared, you brought up Kamari Terrell in the return game. I think there's a great chance that Florence is another consideration there, um, especially mm -hmm. in punt return situations from watching his film. But Jordan James is a guy, and I know I was probably more excited at one point about Andrew Paul just because of his tape but like the more you watch Jordan James and the more you read up on him and kind of learn on him I, 
this is a guy who I think will contribute right away. Like I'm not going to be surprised yeah. at all if he's somebody yeah. that is a pretty involved part of this offense. And as Matt said, that might be kind of by necessity because of the numbers on the roster right now. There's just not a lot of scholarship running backs. Oregon's been hit by the transfer portal. They've been hit by Burdell going pro, you know, uh, or staying in the draft, I guess. You needed to find a player. And I still think there's room to add more. And in fact, I think one of the things that kind of stood out was Dan Lanning was asked, I think straight up about, hey, do we need, you need more running backs? And he said, like, they're always going to look to enhance the position. But he also noted, like, they might get creative and you might see receivers in the backfield. You might see other players on offense move around a little bit. He didn't say it, but my first thought was, could we see Noah Sewell finally take some snaps at running back? Like, maybe if he gets. Like in goal line, like I mean, they said they want to be versatile. I don't think it's much more versatile than going from like Seven McGee, who's like a, again, a really fast, quick twitch runner, or a Byron Cardwell to a 260-pound steamroll, you know, steam engine coming down <laughs> downhill in the goal line or, or in short yardage. But like I, I think that was a little notable because to me, I still think four running backs is, is okay. I, I personally think you'd like to have maybe five and even six sometimes depending upon kind of the roster set up. Um, and receiver is the same kind of thing. And that's what made getting yeah. Justice Lowe such a big deal. Like, I think he's a great player, by the way. As Matt said, he is now a 247 Sports four-star. He earned a recruiting bump, uh, recruiting ranking bump in the most recent uh, rankings update, which is actually a final update. A player that people are really high on because of his senior year. And, again, probably going to need to see him play. And, and I think one of the cool things about today we haven't talked about that I know we wanted to was how about just – signing three kids from the state of Oregon. Yeah. You know, and I and I know obviously Lanning said one of the first things he said in his press conferences, you go where the players are. But he's also made it very clear and again did so today that like you have to win your state and you have to win your state battles. And I'm sure, I mean, Matt talked about, you know, some kind of misses on the recruiting trail. I think if Oregon had more time with Dan Lanning and the staff, like Darius Clemens, who's the highest rated recruit in the state who signed with Michigan, like I, I probably Oregon is a, a little better spot there. They might have ended up with with Clemens, who would fill a, an immediate role at receiver for Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to really – I mean, three of the four highest-rated recruits in the state signed with Oregon. Oregon should be able to do that. That should be the expectation. If there are three guys, Oregon – or three or four guys, Oregon, once in the state of Oregon, they should be able to go out and get them. And Dan Landing showed he could do that and, again, did so in a class where he didn't have a whole lot of time to accomplish that. And, I, and it was notable that the first day on the job in terms of hitting the trail – he was up in Portland visiting with Justice or Trey John Williams or a Marion Winston or whoever it was to ensure that this was how it was going to play out. And again, I think Winston and, and Williams are, are two good young players um, as well as low. So I, I think you can't ignore the fact that Oregon did a good job of casting a wide net, getting kids out of Texas and getting kids out of Southern California, Utah, Nebraska, etc. But also, most notably, three kids from their own backyard. Yeah, I mean... Of all years, this is one of the better ones to go and, and get everybody from your backyard in Oregon. Um, classes in the state of Oregon are kind of up and down. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be a good class like this year's class, and, and Oregon took full advantage of it. Um, yeah, Darius Clemens going to Michigan is uh, that hurts, but at the time, at the time of his de- or of his commitment to to Michigan, it seemed like Oregon was going to have you know a decent amount of wide receivers still on their roster. Um, that also that has changed quite a bit since, um, but getting Justice Slow is important. Um, Marion Winston, I'm, I'm kind of high on. He's he's a much bigger player than um, his brother Lamar at Oregon. 
um, more of a more natural linebacker guy. Was Lamar was kind of a tweener, little edge edge player more often than not. Um, but yeah, it's always important to hit your home state hard, um, especially in a state where you don't necessarily have a lot of competition with the other state school in terms of really good recruiting. Um, no blatant disrespect to Oregon State, but I think everybody who's listening to this podcast understands that Oregon over the last you know, two decades has figured out how to recruit and Oregon State is still getting there, but getting better. You know, use of the transfer portal, they use it quite well. Um, but this is a this was a, an opportunity for Oregon State to steal one of these in-state in prospects. And I don't necessarily know how hard Justice Lowe or Mara and Winston were, were really looking at Oregon State as an offer, but um, they ended up choosing Oregon. And I think that's, you know, it's a really good thing for Oregon to keep their in-state guys in because, you know, despite there being a lot more talent on different, different parts of America, um, keeping players in your state uh, is, is one of the bigger things that any, any school can do. Uh, and that's what the big school in the state is supposed to do is keep the best guys at home when they can. Um, but I, I just want to touch on Jordan James for a second because um, that has kind of flown under the radar. Uh, Georgia commit, state, uh, out of the state of Tennessee, uh, Murfreesboro, is that it, Eric? Murfreesboro, Tennessee, something like that. Murfreesboro? Yes, something. I, I sort of don't know how to pronounce it. I still don't even know how to spell it. Um, yeah, man, he's an instant impact guy. Um, spent a lot of time watching his tape the last couple of days ever since we've learned that um, that might be a real possibility of him flipping his commitment to Oregon. Um, really impressive. Uh, really strong legs. He has kind of breakaway speed. I'm not sure if he's another track guy, but he certainly has, you know, this this breakthrough to the next level speed. I think he, uh, I think Lanning referred to him as a one touch touchdown guy, which means you touch the ball once and you're off. Um, that's exactly what he is. Uh, thick frame, five eleven, listed at two hundred five, two ten. Um, I don't know if he necessarily reminds me of any Oregon running back in the past, but uh, he has a. Uh, I don't know if he, if he does, honestly, but he has this great motor where he can flip from uh, kind of a finesse football and making jukes and cuts and spin moves and trying to get out of arm tackles and then just going full power, like right through the line of scrimmage and getting four or five yards just because he needs to. Um, I think he's going to be a really impact guy all, like right off the bat. And that's like Eric, like you were mentioning, this is a situation where he really kind of needs to be with only three or four scholarship running backs, depending on how you look at seven McGee. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things of the day for landing was able to co flip this guy from the Southeast, from Tennessee, from his Georgia commitment with other huge SEC and, and big 12 schools coming after him as well, knowing that he might flip a commitment, um, for Oregon to land him head West and him feel comfortable, him and Carlos Lachlan have a great connection as landing was talking about on, as, at his press day today, um, just a huge commitment for Oregon and something that might be something to keep an eye on going forward and, and, and future classes with, with trying to get kids on this later signing day. Across the conference, um, it, it's certainly eye-opening. Um, you look in the Pac-12, USC finished first um, with overall team rankings. Oregon was second, Arizona third. Um, but you also look deeper down, and guys, I don't know if you saw this or not, um, 
Washington almost didn't crack the top 100 in its rankings. Um, they were 92nd. A school called Campbell, no idea who that is. Campbell finished, College? Yes. Finished nice. higher than, than the Huskies. Um, Arizona State was even worse. This is where we look at things in the Pac-12. Oregon had a good day. USC certainly had a good day. Stanford had a good day. Um, Arizona certainly had a good day. But this is where the conference's bottom needs to pick itself up a little bit, whether it's through transfer portal or, or what whatnot. Um, this is where the league needs to see its, its schools kind of pick up the pace. Um, Oregon had a down year and it still finished in the top 25. I think that's pretty notable from, from an Oregon perspective. Um, I just wanted to mention that really quickly, just where Oregon is at within the conference and, and kind of the, some levels of, the, of around the conference. But we also learned quite a bit about this staff watching Dan Lanning um, during an, uh, an Oregon Booster Club signing event talking to him personally this week. Uh, we, we talked to him on signing day as well. Um, we also saw Joey Mack, um, host of Duck Insider. He's also works with um, the pregame show. He's the sideline reporter for the football program, as well as the men's basketball um, play-by-play caller. He, he had every single assistant coach on his Duck Insider show for the University of Oregon's official site. And, guys, I, I think – Watching all of that play out, consuming all the other Dan Lanning content that we could get our hands on, speaking with Dan Lanning again today, I'm more and more impressed and continue to get sold more and more on this staff's, this staff's future success. I think the more you see Lanning just communicate and how he operates, it's pretty impressive. Um, and I don't want to make it a compare and contrast from the previous coach who was here, but there's a little bit different energy um, and kind of he smiles more. Um, he seems more engaged. Um, he cracks more jokes. Um, you know, I asked Dan who were some of the 10 seven guys and he said I could find that doing research, but he wanted to assure me he wasn't one of them, which I mean, shoot, I don't think any of us are could run 12-7, 13-7. I don't even know what we could run. So, I mean, Dan's probably faster. Meter. Yeah, Dan's yes. probably faster. Yeah, I don't <laughs> Dan's, I'm sure, faster than we are, uh, I would think, maybe close. But uh, I thought I, I appreciated kind of the humor element there. Um, you know, and I think this that comes across from the staff, too. I'm not saying they're like a bunch of jokesters and goofy guys, but there's a level of levity, too, a, level, a lot of passion and energy. Um you can see why this staff is built to recruit because you hear them as communicators and they connect well. Um, again, they have the right things to say. I think we'll get to some of the other takeaways. I think some of the things Kenny Dillingham, the new offensive coordinator, had to say about what this offense is going to be. Like, you get why Oregon should recruit well because his pitch that he's just basically, you know, con- I guess condensing and, and, and saying on a – TV, I guess a live stream is compelling. Like I'm listening to it going like that's sign me up. That sounds pretty good. Like (laughs) some of the things you're saying are are things that we haven't really heard said about an Oregon offense in quite some time. And I know some of that harkens back to some of the things he said, we'll get to it later, 
harkens back to a little like the Chip Kelly era. So maybe it's just some of the uh, uh, what is it? You just just falling back into kind of things you've appreciated from the past. Nostalgia was the word I was looking for. But like at the end of the day, I, I came away from all of that being like this was really informative, and certainly you get a sense of who these guys are. And I, I'm excited, frankly, too. I think there's going to be an event sometime later this month where we'll have an opportunity to meet with all of these coaches. I'm excited for that to happen and to, you know, in one-on-one settings or face-to-face settings, hopefully at least, see what these guys are like, see how they respond to questions, see if that, you know, see how much of this feels genuine, see how much of this feels real and and get a sense of it. But like on first glance, I think you come away being like, man, these are some really engaging communicators and speakers. And a lot of the things they said, and we'll get to some of it, I think really stands out as being things you can be really excited about for where this is headed. Oh, 100%. Um, I think it's just a, a youthful movement, it's like youthful exuberance that has surrounded this entire program now. Um, and granted, some of these guys are old, you know, mid-40s, but, you know, Lanning, Dillingham, early 30s, um, they're going to be guys with a lot of energy, a lot of activity, and, and a lot of personality. Um, whether or not the old staff has just been around the block enough at multiple schools and it's just kind of done with trying to, to, I don't know, maybe, maybe fake that they're being happy when they're being questioned by reporters. Um, when we get to see them, maybe they're great on the inside, who knows, but uh, just in general, it's, it just seems like this staff has a lot of chemistry together already, which I think is interesting. Um, but then again, when you look back at where they came from, where they were hired from and, and the histories, they all kind of at one point, all of them kind of crossed lines and all of them had known each other from a different relationship. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, uh, Dan Lanning was asked about coach chemistry today at his press conference. And um, yeah, he says it's a huge thing. It's as, as big as of uh, looking to have chemistry, like with recruits and stuff like that, like having a coach chemistry and, you know, not needing to, not needing to, uh, you know, or excuse me, needing to trust each other is such a huge thing when it comes to coaching, and it will even more down the course of a season uh, with in-game scenarios. But, yeah, I think all of these guys have a lot of charisma. Um, Eric, I felt the same way. I feel the same way every time Dan Lanning talks and gets motivational. I'm just ready to go run through a brick wall. I think I've texted you that, like, multiple times, and it's like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Find me a brick wall, somebody. Um and, you know, like uh, Tony Tuioti, he, he went on with, with Jack Mack of, of Ducks of, of, of Oregon and um, began his, like, two-minute life story. Joey Mack kept asking um, the coaches to like, kind of introduce themselves to the fans. And he uh, started off by talking about how, well, you know, the Patriots had a dynasty and this team had a dynasty. But he's like, my wife and I had seven kids in, in 10 years. So that was the, the Tuioti dynasty. <laughs> Yeah, you know, stuff stuff like that is just you understand why um, you know players like being around this, these guys on the staff and they like you know talking to them. They feel like they have a real personal connection with them because yeah, you know, they're all just humans at the end of the day, like you and me. But there's a part of it that kind of gets lost in in the culture of football where they're all just you know presumably quote unquote like meatheads, like you know just wanna. Just go out there and play football. But um, all of these guys have a personality. Uh, same thing with Tosh Lupoy. He had the, I don't even know what the event was called, the signing day event at the Graduate Hotel in Eugene. Um, was kind of shy for a little bit, and then he got a 
talked into the details of what it takes to be a football player at Oregon and his defensive strategy and his schemes. And at that point, you kind of realize I texted Matt this and it's like, all right, now I kind of understand why this guy is heralded as a really good recruiter. He just has a very uh, you know, proper cadence when he's talking and he has this um, way of describing and convincing people that, you know, this is the right move in this situation and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm with you, Matt. I've, I've been high on this staff just because I think the youth movement is um, always a good thing. Like maybe it's because I'm a, a youthful movement here, but uh, I, I, I'm even more uh, confident and, and excited to see where they go, especially as they um, – all finally get settled into Eugene after being away for uh, six straight weeks. This class is potentially still going to get better. Um, Josh Connerly is a five-star on the board. He will decide in March. He's going to take official visits in the month of March to USC and Oregon. He'll also unofficially visit Washington and then make his decision um, Arliss Boardingham is a three-star athlete. Oregon's recruiting him as a receiver tight end hybrid. Um, he's going to make his decision on where he goes between Oregon and Florida. That make that decision will be made potentially on Friday. And he said that he could even push that back if he's still not certain um, about where he goes. Oregon, the key thing here, though, is the regardless of either of them, it looks – I feel like Oregon is – right up to that scholarship limit of 85 um, scholarship players allocated for 2022. So um, they can still sign more guys, but for every player that they sign, one player on its current roster uh, is going to have to de depart the program. So that could be kind of a tip and in, in some news that could be coming down um, the road here a little bit is if, if they take another guy, the staff is anticipating someone currently on the roster uh, to leave. Um, and that's, that's going to happen probably, you know, it's spring football guys transfer natural attrition happens. Um, and, and so that's something to watch out for. And then um, seeing how these additions impact that's current roster will also play out in spring ball. I mean, Dan Lanning has already come out and said at that, um, signing day luncheon with the Oregon club and Eugene that Jackson, he was asked what's what position is Jackson powers Johnson playing because he played offensive line the first 13 games of the season. And then in the Alamo bowl against Oklahoma, he played D line and we all just thought it was, Hey, D line got ravaged by injuries um, guys transferring out of the program. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau going pro. This is just a move to give them bodies. He'll be back. Dan Lanning has said he's going to start on the D-line for spring football. Um, it's interesting, uh, It's it's, but it, it also makes sense a little bit now that like a guy like Dave Uli has joined the program where Oregon now has another interior offensive lineman, highly regarded guy that can play guard, which Jackson Powers Johnson did play. Yeah, not to mention the fact that I think we all looked at Jackson and thought probably not starting in 22 more than likely 23 is where he has yeah. a chance and, and maybe you give him an audition year. And it's also possible that they watched the film of the Alamo bowl or, or not practice film. And just thought this guy's really good here. Um, and Tim DeRuiter said that when he was the defensive coordinator, he, he kind of saw Jackson as somebody who could play that side of the football and was kind of pulling for him. And maybe Dan saw the same thing. 
and felt the same way. A couple other notes from that sort of thing. Uh, sounds like spring ball starting mid-March, which is kind of news. I mean, we hadn't got official timeline. It also sounds like it's going to have a similar structure to what Mario Cristobal did, um, where you have spring ball for a couple of weeks and then a short break for spring break so the student athletes can go home and enjoy themselves a little bit. And then, you know, returning to Eugene and reuniting for the last couple of weeks. He's also shared a couple of days ago at the halftime of the Oregon men's basketball game against Oregon State that the spring game will be played on April 23rd at 1 p.m. So you can put that in your calendars. I think most listening probably are already familiar with that. But I think it's the first time we've said that on a podcast um, slash this YouTube show. So thought that was notable. And then I did want to just quickly address some of the things Dillingham said about the offense because I found that to be I don't want to be I don't want to be reductive or diminish any of the recruiting stuff. But for me, as somebody who's like, you know, a team reporter, like some of the stuff he was saying was really interesting about the offense, about how they were hoping to, you know, run 80 plays per game. By the way, last year's team, 68. The year before that, 61. Um, Oregon, I believe, ran more than 80 plays most freak, most recently in 2012, which was, I believe, the last year Chip Kelly was here. Um, so maybe a return to a little bit of that. He said well, the offense is going to be versatile. He said he considered as a, considers it a pro style. I think a lot of people think or hear pro style and think under center. He's not necessarily saying that. He's yep. talking about pro style in terms of identifying matchups. Um, like, the, like, for example, the previous staff you had, a boundary receiver, you had a field receiver, you had a slot receiver, and the boundary and field were kind of predetermined. Guys were either X's, they were either Y's, they were either Z's. Nope, there was not as much movement there. What they're trying to do now is identify on the field of, hey, we want to get Troy Franklin the rock because he's really good on one-on-one situations. Let's go pick and find the defensive back or the linebacker that we can get him on where he can have the most success. And not that any of this is – you know, it's not unique to say, you know, you're going to build your offense or your team around your talent, but it's a little different than even what we've seen recently under Joe Moorhead, where, again, you had specified position groups um, or specified position groups. I'm not saying you don't have those positions, but you were, you know, Micah Pittman played one spot. You know, Troy Franklin would play one spot. And, of course, they could cross-train and move around, but primarily they were either X, Y, or Z. I think you're going to see a lot of rotations, a lot of moving guys around. You might see players playing – you know, a variety of places on the field. And that's where, you know, what I think kind of pulling this together, what when Dan Landing says, we don't know if we need more running backs because we have, you know, ways of getting creative. I kind of think of this of, you know, you could have a receiver who lines up in the backfield. You could have a running back and a receiver back there. You could have, uh, you know, receivers lining up closer to the line of scrimmage, you know, in a tighter formation. I just think you could see a lot more creative things. So I got excited by that. But I think the big thing that Oregon fans are responding to is, is the pace and the tempo it sounds yeah. like they want to play with because that was Oregon football for so long. And that was a defining characteristic was Oregon went fast and went faster than anybody else. And they went fast before anyone else really thought to go fast, um, at least at this mm-hmm. level. And I think it sounds like there's going to be a retor- return of some sort to that. Yeah. I'll touch on the offense in a sec. I just wanted to talk about Jackson Powers Johnson real quick. Um, I really like him as a guard and as a center. But when you have Ryan Walk and Alex Forsyth coming back, it's clear that he was probably going to start the year as like the first offensive lineman off the bench, which for him, I'm sure isn't exactly what he wanted to do. Um, but I think he has a talent enough to be a full-time starter in the offensive line. Um, I thought he was 
I thought he was good against Oklahoma. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was bad. I thought he held his ground for somebody who had to basically be thrown in there as like uh, just a replacement in terms of everybody that they lost, including Popo and Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, but yeah, I'll be excited to see it. I don't know if it'll last. I don't know if it'll stick in terms of him playing defensive line the entire year, but uh, that's just something to keep an eye on going forward. Um, but yeah, like you, Eric, I'm extremely interested to see how the offense will operate under Dillingham. Um, he's never really truly had the chance to be his own play caller. He is, you know, was the offensive coordinator of Florida State, was the offensive coordinator of Auburn. Um, it's been kind of documented that he wasn't the only play caller, um, and that was seemingly a knock on him for a little bit. Um, granted, I don't really think it is when you get to coach or when you get to be the offensive coordinator at Auburn at 29. I think that's pretty indicative of who you are and what your mind is as an offensive play caller. Um, so I have some good confidence in him. Um, when he said pro style, um, I didn't go to immediately under center. Um, maybe I'm showing my age, but uh, when I think of pro style, I'm like right now I'm thinking of what the NFL has been for the last six, seven years. And that's something like, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills of recent. Um, what Chip Kelly did 10 years ago is now a pro style offense. Yep. You don't see too many teams go under center all the time, like the Colts did with Peyton Manning, like the Patriots did with Tom Brady or um how the Steelers used to run Ben Roethlisberger, someone like that, um, that doesn't really happen anymore. So the first thing I thought of was, well, if Oregon runs a pro-style offense, you could be seeing them trying to run something like the Bills or the Chiefs, something like that, which, you know, it's would be pretty good. Those guys are good at offense, and granted they have two of the best top – two of the best quarterbacks in the league, but um, no, that's just what I kind of envisioned. And – I don't think the 80 plays is realistic and could be incredibly hard to get that as like an average or just like in a one game span. Um, but to hear Dillingham talk about how he wants to go higher tempo is fine by me. I have no problems with that. I would love to see a higher tempo. Um, I think when you have kids in their basic or not their athletic prime, but in, in this probably some of the best shapes of their lives uh, going a little more up tempo makes sense, puts the defense on their heels it's why Chip Kelly did it. It's why Oregon was good at it for a long time. Uh, I think defenses have adapted at this point. Um, there's very few schools that don't run something like a spread offense where it's, um, you know, pass happy. But uh, again, I think a good balance between pass and run, um, especially considering that you have an, a, a great returning offensive line with, you know, basically all five starters coming back. Um, I think they're going to be able to run the ball effectively too, but that doesn't have to change how they play in their tempo. Um, lastly, the uh, being creative with putting some, like what Lanning said, putting some non-running backs in the backfield. Uh, how about a little uh, Terrence Ferguson action in the backfield? Little little Travis Kelsey, little little Belldozer Blake Bell, like the like the Chiefs run. Yeah. Another Chiefs reference. Um, just don't run those plays on fourth and short. That's all. Just. Stick to your game plan. That's all I ask. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Again, Oregon 25th in the country from a prep and juco ranking standpoint. Uh, they are also 22nd when you take into account all the transfers with all the prep and juco players signed. Ducks aren't done yet, so keep locked in on duckterritory.com. 
uh, as they continue to potentially add more names to the 2022 class. And as more than one coach at Oregon said today, hey, they're they're behind right now for 2023, kids. So it's time to catch up uh, with the rest of the, of the country. Uh, so 2023 recruiting doesn't start tomorrow, doesn't start in a month or in two months. It, it's already started. Uh, so you can go to duckterritory.com for more coverage on that as well. Uh, until our next podcast, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.